Welcome to the Sip and Feast podcast, episode one, or episode zero, whichever way you want to look at it, because this episode will be a little different. We'll talk a little bit about what we plan to do on this podcast, and then we're going to have a really nice rhythm going forward. So what is this podcast even about? Jim, do you really think people want to hear what you say for an hour or an hour and a half? God knows Tara doesn't want to hear what I have to say for an hour or, or an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm forcing her basically to be in here with me right now. <laughs> when we started this whole entire shebang six years ago, we had a website first. We were just sharing recipes. And then we moved into the Italian, really the Italian-American category. And we kind of found our legs and then I summoned up the courage to make YouTube videos, cooking videos specifically. And we gathered a big audience. That's a lot of you who are watching right now in video form. And we're really appreciative of that audience. We, we, we value every, every time you tune into us, every time you watch, uh, which it's, it's just an honor. We are often surprised, and Tara will read comments more than I do now, because just a sheer volume of comments, it makes it hard always to read them all. But one thing that is surprising to us is people love to hear my voice. <laughs> Very surprising. <laughs> I could not believe that. And we'll talk about it later in, later in this episode. But that was a surprise. And... I, we lived in Minnesota for a very short period of time, and I tried for three years in that state to not talk, basically, because <laughs> people made me feel so self-conscious the second I opened my mouth. I could <laughs> stop a room on a dime. And I'll tell you a little story after about how I actually did stop a room only a few weeks after we moved into the state. So again, what the hell is this podcast about, Jim? Jim, you're, you're babbling, Jim. You're doing what you do in your videos when I want to throw the remote through the screen or when I want to slam my computer against the wall. The podcast is going to be about us sharing our love of Italian and Italian-American food, specifically from a New York perspective and a family perspective. So we make food for our family. We like to make food for groups of people. Uh, we love to share share it with them. And I know so many of you like to do the same thing. Often, a lot of you guys will just message me and tell me how happy you are that the thing you made, your wife loved or your husband loved or, or your kids loved. I get so many comments from, a lot of them are you dads out there who want to impress your kids with cooking. That might be a more... more recent phenomenon, you know, uh, compared to how things were in the past. In the past, you would not want to cook or, or your dad would tell you that's not something you should be doing, son, but it's, it's a great thing to be doing. And it's a really great way to get in, into it with your family, like for them to respect you in other ways. I'm shedding a tear right now. Um, it's a good way to connect with your family. And that's really what this is about. So we're gonna tell you in this podcast, how do, how do you get deals on food? How do, you, how, do, how, do you, how do you make it work for your family during the week? 
Where do you shop? When we do the taste test videos that are that are hugely popular on YouTube, we're gonna we're gonna dissect them here prior to them being posted. So we're gonna kind of let you guys in on what we're working on next. We're also gonna let you know in on what recipes we're work, we're working on next. Why are we sharing these recipes? What's the significance of these recipes? And in the end of each episode, we're going to wrap up with questions supplied by you, the viewer. And you can send those questions to podcast at sipandfeast.com. Now, we have hundreds of questions already that you guys have submitted from Instagram, from community posts on YouTube, and just regular comments in the videos. So we're going to use some of them today, but we're not going to use all of them. We want the new questions from you, from you, the listener, from you, the person who's tuning into the Sip and Feast podcast. So let's get into it. It's funny doing this doing this podcast. It's like you get nervous. You have butterflies in your stomach. Do you have butterflies in your stomach, Tara? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're the one doing all the talking. It's odd. I've... I've made uh, almost 250 videos and I get nervous with each one. Mm -hmm. I never am not nervous. And I'm also extremely nervous when I have to publish them. I would feel much more nervous if I was getting in front of a live audience. Like if we were going live right now, forget about it. I would probably, I would probably be nauseous. Um, but I know it's, it's not live and <laughs> It's editable. Tara has learned about the magic of editing. And to this day, I'll just be outside and doing, just filming something with my phone quickly, you know, quick and dirty for, for Instagram story. And she'll be like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's not live. It's just, I'm, if you don't like it, I just won't put it up. Yeah. You had a dream, right? Where I where I did that to you, right? I had a dream. You were like, I was like vacuuming in my underwear and you videoed it and put it on and I was watching it on your story and I was like, you have to get this down. All right. Well, without any, without further ado, uh, we're going to get into the first, you know, the, the, the ma major question, one of the major questions is my backstory. Like why, <laughs> a lot of them are just like credentials. So we got a lot of those questions on the jarred sauce, uh, jarred sauce taste test. They were like, who the hell are you? Why am I going to listen to what you have to say about if Rayo's is better than Victoria or Ragu or Prego or, or whatnot? And by the way, guys, it's Rayo's, not Rouse. I cannot tell you how many people are telling me it's Rouse. Guys, if you don't believe me, two things. Watch Rayo's YouTube channel, little channel, but they have all their marketing, all the videos that companies have made for them, or just give them a call and ask for a reservation. And when they <laughs> answer the phone, they go, Rayo's, mm -hmm. <laughs> then uh, then you'll know. It's not Rouse or cows. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to other people. But yeah, I guess phonetically, it should be Rouse, yeah. right? Yeah. I think you're going off topic. So I know basically we, this was roughly six years ago. Now I let's back it up, back it up. Okay. You got to go back to your grandma's kitchen. Okay. And you're going to start from there. Okay. So my grandma and I lived in, I grew up in Long Island. My mom is from Astoria. My dad is from Bushwick 
And they moved out here. They bought a house, which so many people of that age, that's what they did. They went to the suburbs of Long Island, or some of them went to Westchester, but not really. A lot of them went to Jersey. But anyway, they went to Long Island, or they went to Staten Island. And they needed a house that could accommodate not just them, but also my grandma, because my grandma, my grandfather, uh, died at a very young age. And he's Sicilian. My grandmother is just Italian from another region. So that makes me half Italian, guys. Like, it's my mother's side. My mom's the, my mom's the 100% Italian, you know, the you know, with the bad, the bad accent, all that, and, you know, and thinks that all the food that she eats is Italian food, even though it's all Italian American, which by the way, is a sin that almost all New York and New Jersey people make. And we get a lot of questions regarding that. But my grandmother needed a place to cook because that's what grandmothers did back then. They cooked food often in those houses that had two kitchens. And the more well-off people would have just two kitchens in their house without storing their grandmother, where they would just use it to make storing their grandmother. <laughs> they would just use it to make wine. They would that's where they would do their tomatoes, make their sauce. It's where they would make their mess. It's where they make the sausage, you know, uh, whatever they were doing. But we needed it for my grandmother. And so my grandmother lived with me my whole life. Like I never knew not living with her. What was odd about her family is that her husband, who died at a young age, he was actually the cook in the family. So I don't know if it was the Sicilian thing or, or what, but he did it all. He did the cooking inside. He did, he did everything on the grill. And I, I mean, obviously she did some of it, but not as much. But when he died, she had a real urge to, like she like, almost like she's like, I have to learn how to do this. And, you know, Getting married? No, that wasn't part of the equation. That's not what Catholic Catholic people back then would do. They would be widows for their whole life. And, you know, her, this story is not, this story is just very typical. But she lived there with us and she became a really good cook. Uh, I, I never knew her not being a good cook. So from when I was born, she was a good cook. And we would have the typical fare. Uh, every Sunday, it would be either, it would always be Sunday sauce or or gravy, which is is how she would always refer to it. And that's a whole nother, we could do a whole episode about that, you know, gravy versus sauce, sauce but versus so many people around that age. And, you know, if she was alive today, she would be what, 110, but she died when she was 92. It was gravy for her whole entire life. I never knew it as anything but gravy. And didn't your mom call it sauce? My mom She did. still calls it sauce. It's like almost a form of rebellion. She called it sauce, which would annoy my grandmother. And <laughs> yeah, she would call it sauce. Um, but yeah, and I, I, I always called it sauce. I, mm -hmm. I didn't call it gravy yeah, me either. And, uh, you know, uh, certain words like regret, you know, I've kind of butchered it now and say regatta. Mm -hmm. I try, I try, I do my best to try to like appease the people who are like, it's ricotta. Like, I'm never going to say that. I mean, how could I ever say that? That wouldn't, those words would never come out of my mouth. That's like living in Minnesota and asking for a coffee. Oh man, you say coffee five times at the window and they go, what, what? And then you yeah. go, I will take a coffee, please. And then you get it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I digress. So yeah, I learned to cook from her. She did the, she would always do the Sunday sauce. She would always do the meatballs. 
She would always do the brajol. She would always, you know, a lot of times the sauce would be done with all three of them. It would have the meatballs, hot and sweet sausage, and the brajol. And that was a typical Sunday. You get the good bread from the local bakery. She would do a side escarole often. Uh, no broccoli, Rob, really, she, because my mother hated it. So my grandmother wasn't allowed to make it. Um to this day. So it was always escarole or it'd be sauteed broccoli or sort like sauteed green beans with garlic and oil. Mm-hmm. During the summer, she would do that cold broccoli salad that I love, which we've been That's getting, so com- we've been getting comments about that one lately. Yeah. They're like, people are like, I can't believe you know about this recipe. They're like, it's not even on the internet. Yeah. That's one of the taste testers favorite, favorite things. He loves that cold broccoli salad. So, so yeah, it's a cold broccoli salad. It, it's it's on the site, and it's the simplest thing in the world. You don't need to go to our site. All you got to do is just cook broccoli until not quite soft. Keep it a little firm. Shock it. And then all you do is make a vinaigrette of lemon juice, extra virgin olive oil, tiny bit of Dijon mustard I use, though my grandmother didn't do that, and then lots of chopped garlic. Mm-hmm. And you just mix it all together and then you put plastic wrap over it, get it in the fridge and let it just marinate. And it's even better the next day. It's so good and it's so damn simple. It is good. So that's like simple Italian cooking at its best, like even simpler than, and that's what most, most food, most Italian food is. It's very, very simple. So you can get more complex and you could do like a cauliflower salad, which probably all these dishes like are kind of like Sicilian, like they originate from there. Uh, You can have like the cauliflower one with anchovy vinaigrette. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So it's a little bit more complicated, but the broccoli salad is a good one, but you could do this really with any vegetable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what my grandmother did. She made a ton of food. I was down there cooking with her from when I was 11 years old. I probably made chicken marsala, chicken franchise, Sunday sauce or gravy. I probably made all of those dishes about 50 times each by the time I was 13 or 14. Yeah. I basically, by the time I was 13 or 14, I probably cooked more than most people do in their whole entire life. And I just, it's what I did. It's, it's, I essentially got to the point where I would be making food every night for dinner upstairs and like kicking my mom out of the kitchen, Mm -hmm. which she, by the way, she didn't mind. She didn't mind. I don't think my dad, I think my dad was indifferent to it. He's like, oh, what, what is he doing? What's the boy doing? He's cooking. What is, what's going on here? <laughs> he needs to be out there playing playing basketball or football, which I did too. I did play sports also. Tell me about your grandma's broken spaghetti soup. I yeah. mean, you talked about that the whole time I've known you. Yeah. It seems like it's one of your favorites. Yes. Tell, tell me about it. So that one I love, and I it's funny, like I love it more now, just the idea of it, than I did back then because we had it so often. It was like that one, pasta bazool, a couple other dishes we had we had so so much. And this is another really peasant, peasanty dish. So zucchini is one of the easiest vegetables to grow and you get a ton of it. But believe it or not, the the real dish that this hails from is a Sicilian dish. Uh, in Palermo, where they do the cucuza, so the really big zucchini, 
squash. They're mm-hmm. tremendous. They can get like six feet long. And are they called like snake squash sometimes yeah. here? So people call them snake squash. Yeah. Uh, Kukuza, gagoots. Okay, gagoots yeah. and gagoots is also like a derogatory, mm-hmm. but it's like a friendly derogatory term. Yeah. But that one, and you'll see like you'll see like old school Italian like older men who have a garden. It's like a sense of pride. They build a massive trellis for them mm-hmm. and they grow them and they grow huge, like a ton of them. And, they, you know, one of these, one kukuza is enough for like a family for the summer. <laughs> Yet they grow like, they grow like hundreds of these yeah. things. But yeah, that's what the dish originates from. It's it's that, it's not it's not zucchini, like the zucchini that we is that know. Is the tenarumi? Is that the name of it? Tenarumi, yeah. That's, I think that's how you that's say what it. The, that's with the zucchini leaves. The leaves. Right? So they or sell the, the leaves. leaves. Yeah, it's the kukuza leaves. They mm-hmm. sell those leaves. You can find them. Uncle Giuseppe's. Uh, I've some seen Italian them in meat farms, here. actually. Yeah. yeah, you can find them locally. And you can definitely find them in Brooklyn, Staten Island, and they'll have them at like little little stands. Mm-hmm. And then you take those leaves and you put them in too. But yeah, the broken spaghetti, it's typically done with broken spaghetti because I was, I was like, these dishes are like, they're so common. They were so common to me, but a lot of people wouldn't know them. But I was like on YouTube one day, like looking for it. And I saw the, you know, the, the real one, the mm-hmm. Kakuza and all that. Yeah. And, um, it was like an Italian lady spoke no English. Yeah. And it was filmed in America and she was breaking the spaghetti. It just reminded me exactly of my grandmother. Like like the, the woman, like she was like, it's like she needed like help to break the spaghetti. She was like, 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 it, was like it wouldn't break. And that reminded me exactly of my grandmother. Like yeah. at the end, my grandmother could barely break the spaghetti also. Yeah. Speaking of zucchini, <clears throat> didn't your grandma used to make the zucchini pasta? So the zucchini pasta, that pasta dish we had our whole entire life. It was probably, it was another one of those dishes that I ate hundreds of times before, you know, before anybody really spoke about it. So Stanley Tucci, the show, uh, that the recent show, they showed it and they showed like the real, the the, the real Italian uh, version. So it's called Spaghetti alla Nerano and it uses you know, the, the zucchini that is in Italy. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit different zucchini. And a couple places in, in Italy, like famous ones, will do it a little different. Some will do the mash of the zucchini. Some will do all the seared pieces. And they both, most of them will use the, the cheese called uh, provolone delmonico. Mm-hmm. So that's a very hard cheese to find in America, though it, though you can find it now. But a good substitute here in, in America would just be Pecorino Romano. But I always say Pecorino, just use Pecorino Romano for yeah. so many of these dishes, you know, like pasta alla norma. If you, if you don't have regard to salada, then, then do that. And my grandmother, that's what she would use. It would be, it would be Pecorino or Parmesan. You could also substitute like Cacciafalo cheese, mm-hmm. but that's not exactly easy for people to find either. It's not, yeah. But yeah, you have that's, to go to an Italian specialty store really to get it. But we take for granted how many specialty stores we have in America. I mean, yeah. I know that we have in New York. That we have where we live. Because I can, you know, I can say from experience that when we lived in the Midwest and Minnesota, those items just weren't, they weren't available where we lived. I'm sure there were, you know, probably a few little markets in Minneapolis or St. Paul where you could access those types of ingredients. But where we were in the western suburbs of Minneapolis, um, they were nowhere to be found. Yeah, they were nowhere to be found. And 
to be honest with you, living living in Minnesota gave me a much better perspective of our audience. And not that our audience who lives in other states act like Minnesotans, but I think it was a good perspective of what ingredients are available and not available to most of our audience. That's right. You can't assume that everybody can get their hands on certain ingredients. Like even getting, like you can't get certain brands of mozzarella cheese or ricotta. Just getting any, any uh, mozzarella or ricotta in, in the state of Minnesota was, was a challenge. Well, they had it, but they were, you know, the brands that were kind of like local to there, which they were okay, but it's. I saw Palio one time. I believe it was in Cub Food. Yeah, I never saw Palio the whole time I was there. I think it was Sargento you could get. And then there was, um, it was in a blue bag. Do you remember that one? It was a Wisconsin brand. I can't oh, remember the name of it. Yeah. Was it like Blue Diamond or? Yeah. I, I can't I can't remember. But that, you know, it was that. And then actually the Trader Joe's was not bad. Their, their ricotta mozzarella. So Trader Joe's is a good place. It has a lot of stuff. But I always say this to you. It's not easy to find Trader Joe's either. There's only 500 no, of them in America. It's not. I'm just saying the one when we lived there. There was a Trader Joe's five minutes from where we lived. I wrongfully assumed that there were more Trader Joe's than Aldi, but there's way more Aldi in America mm-hmm. than Trader Joe's. In future episodes, we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff, like how do you find good products and like how we love Costco. I mean, we could, we could devote 10 episodes to talking yeah. about Costco and how how great it is for a family or everybody thinks like, oh, I got to have a family. I can't get a Costco membership. You should get a Costco membership, even if you're just single. I do a lot of babbling tangents. Mm -hmm. So like we try to have like, we try to have a little bit of like, uh, I guess like bulleted points here for these, but these are definitely free flowing. And that's what I do like. And I think, I think the audience likes this too, you know? Well, let us know. (laughs) That's right. I don't have no idea what the audience likes. The audience might be like, Jim, you are such a loser for doing a podcast. Get your fat (laughs) butt back in the kitchen and make me more recipe videos. I don't know what you, who you think you are, Jim. Yeah. Tell me about your first jobs in the food industry. I mean, because, you know, you went from your grandmother's kitchen, you started working in yeah. a, a few different places, yeah. but tell us about so I'm that. So not, I'm not a trained chef, and I, and I say that all the time. I Even when people call me chef, I'm like, I'm like I say, I if I am responding, I'm like, I am not a chef. And this is a different discussion, what a chef is. In my mind, a chef would be somebody who's done 15 years in the food, in food service, basically where they run a kitchen. A chef to me is not somebody who goes to culinary school works in a restaurant for three months and then starts an Instagram uh, or start making TikTok videos and calls himself a chef. That's, you know, people might disagree with me, but no, I I think, you know, this whole like, is like uh, the fallacy of authority. Like I got this, so I, therefore I am. Like, you're not going to trust a doctor who just comes out of medical school versus someone who's uh, 30 years dealing with cancer. Like I'm going to go to the, the, the doctor from 30 years. So again, tangent there, but what I did to get my credentials was I worked, when I was young, I worked in a few different delis. The first deli I worked at was good because it was, uh, they did a lot of like gourmet food. So it was, a, it was a bakery and deli and the bakery delivered so much bread to all different hotels in Long Island, like the Marriott, the Sheridan. And I did a lot of those deliveries, but they also had a big wedding cake operation. And then they had a whole gourmet food catering operation. And 
the guy who was the cook there, who was the owner of the place, he was amazing. I mean, he had, and he was cooking for like an army each time. So it would mm -hmm. be like for a 250 person party. And I would help him. And I got to learn a lot. I loved his vodka sauce, actually. That's to this day, it's why I make the vodka sauce the way I do, mm -hmm. which is with wine and vodka, not just vodka. When you just use vodka, it's boring. It's mm -hmm. like, it's, it does nothing really. They say there's a chemical reaction. It's not. I mean, it's, it, it does essentially nothing. But when you put a little bit of white, dry white wine in there, that's you know, a do, flavor. Do like equal parts uh, of that in the vodka. So you got to have vodka. So people say, well, you didn't, you can't call it vodka sauce, mm -hmm. Jim. There's no vodka in it. But anyway, that's where I learned a lot, a lot about cooking from him. Like I learned about how the industry worked, like how walk-ins work, how you food storage, um, all of that, and uh, how how things were made. Like I I worked the deli area, so I was always like, hey Jim, you know, slice forty heads of cabbage for us right now. We got to make coleslaw for the week, or you know, help help me carry this pot that has fifty pounds of potatoes in it. You know, for mm -hmm. potato salad. Because it was like some, you know, little little woman in the back, like who's like, like, no way she was carrying that pot. I learned a lot about that. Uh, I learned a lot about the bread operation too. And that that place was awesome. That that was that was a good place. There, and there really aren't any places like that that I that I know of anymore. They closed down and now it's like a bagel shop, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's right. It yeah. Is. But that's where I learned that. And then I just basically I just kept cooking though. Like I was never not cooking, but essentially from I would say like maybe even eight years old, I was helping in the kitchen, mm -hmm. maybe maybe even younger. I, there's pictures of me. In fact, I did the, um, um, when I did that collab with Mike G, Pro Home Cooks, he asked me because he, th that was that was a fun video too. And, but he asked me, he's like, do you have any pictures like in the kitchen when you're young with mm -hmm. your grandma? And I was like, I was like, oh, I got one with my mom here. I was like, yeah. I was like four. <laughs> I was like, I was like stirring you're already, the mac and cheese. You were already telling her what she was doing wrong in the kitchen. <laughs> Uh, and I did a lot of that telling, telling, you know, uh, I've, I've, I've calmed down over the years now, now, now my whole, like, you know, my whole thing is like, I try to tell people they really can get good results with a variety yeah. of techniques and ingredients. And you don't yeah. have to take things seriously. I reject 100% like authority with in the cooking space. Like mm -hmm. that's not how it's done. When somebody says that to me, I just immediately, I'm like, you're done. You don't, don't, I'm not listening to anything mm -hmm. you say anymore. Like, I, I don't, I don't need that. And, yeah. and nobody else does. If you like something and you like the way it tastes, why is it wrong? I know. You were telling me about the Broccoli Rob comment the other day, yeah. which by the way is complete BS. Because if you Google that, Broccoli Rob and mozzarella, first of all, when I heard, when you told me to comment, I was like, I was like, what is this silliness? Because it's not even like seafood and cheese. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely ridiculous. So the person who wrote that to you, was she like, and did she say she was an expert or, I, or not? I don't know if, if it was, you know, I don't know what their gender was, so I don't want to assume. Um, they, I believe, are Italian. And they said that if you did anything to like alter the flavor of rapini in Italy, you would get, quote unquote, the boot. And completely wrong that they enjoy Com they enjoy the channel, but they completely don't wrong. They you're don't. if you're out there, you are 100% wrong. What was that Easter pie that I made? Torta Pasqualina, right? That is often made with broccoli rob. What other ingredient is in that? I'm just what, the messenger. What other here. ingredient is always in that? Yeah, lots cheese. of cheese. Yeah. I'm just the messenger. No, broccoli rob and mozzarella. 
awesome combination. It is. Make a nice hero with that. And if you like sausage, it, then you eat it. Rob, if you don't like it, you want unadulterated broccoli rob, then don't add cheese to yours. No, you would always adulterate broccoli rob because it's bitter. <laughs> so you don't have to try to like say, oh, I want to take all the bitterness out of it, but you're going to mm. adulterate it. You're going to use extra virgin olive oil. You're going to use lots of garlic. You're going to use lots of salt. You always use a lot of salt for a bitter vegetable, just like radicchio. It will, it will make it a lot better. So anyway, yeah. Let's go back. You're talking about you know, your time in high school, right? Mm. Where you worked at the deli and the different, you know, the catering place. But what about college? Because when I met you, we were both juniors in college and you were already, you know, well known <laughs> throughout the Albany community, or at least the community of your, of your friends, your fraternity brothers for being the cook. Yeah. So I had, um, I went to Albany, uh, you know, the very mid, mid tier, moderate college in, in New York, not, not trying to put it down. Anybody who's going to Albany now, but it is not Harvard. And the students there were a lot, there were a lot of fraternities, sororities, all that. And there was a lot of partying. And what would happen often is we would have a fraternity event. There were multiple people that knew that I loved, that I was always cooking. And I was like the only guy who was cooking, you know, the, the extent that people were cooking and I was making like sauce and all that. And so they would go and they would like drive to like, what is it? Key food is what's in Albany, right? No, like, Key Bank. Key Bank. No, no. So it was Hannaford's Hanniford. and Price Chopper. Hannaford and Price Chopper. So they would go there and they would uh, pick up, I would, they, they would tell me, they would like, just make the list. And I would like write down everything. I would get they would get me all the tomatoes, pasta, different cheese. And I would make the whole uh, the whole dinner for them at three in the morning. So we would all be eating like <laughs> we would all be eating that at like three, four in the morning. If we if or or we'd be going to this place called Dirty Dan's that that served good burgers. Yeah, yeah I have memories of of you making a egg and cheese or bacon egg and cheese sandwiches at the end of the night too. Those were always pretty good, but. One of the things, I don't know if you remember, one of the meals that you made for me when I first met you was one of the best things I had ever I had ever eaten. And it was chicken scampi. Do you remember that? Chicken scampi, yeah. So um so this is very, very much a bastardization of of shrimp scampi. But yeah. shrimp scampi is a bastardization of the words anyway. Yeah. Like it's shrimp shrimp. Yeah, shrimp, <laughs> shrimp. But the chicken scampi is a play on it is you just take, and I took chicken and I breaded it, fried it, like little pieces of it. And then, or maybe they were cutlets, can't remember. And then I <laughs> took like a ton of butter and garlic, like minced garlic, laid it all in the pan. And then on top of those cutlets put uh, Munster cheese. Yeah. It was Munster cheese, I believe. Yeah. It was. It's like the only time ever that I'm like, I need Munster cheese for this dish. It was and so good. You made it for it was I I did an internship um, in Albany with the state government there, so I lived across the street from Jim. So he would often make, like I said, the egg and cheese sandwiches or this chicken scampi dish for the girls that I lived with. And I remember one of them; she like took a bite of the chicken scampi and she said. I am so weak. I need to sit down. This is the best thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> but it was so good. And, and I was so impressed because, you know, for a good portion of my life, I think I, I didn't really enjoy 
food or wasn't really exposed to what I would consider now to be good food. Um, so meeting you and, and getting to taste all of these wonderful things you would make was just, you know, I think if it wasn't for the food, I don't know if I would be sitting here right now. <laughs> well, you're probably right. And, and as far as like the, yeah, the, like not being exposed to food, that's actually, that's going to be episode two, guys. So it's going to be about picky eaters and how to get your kids to not be picky eaters. So I think that's a really good topic, something that we'll explore and that yeah. again, that'll be for the next one. You didn't want to be a picky eater. You just kind of were forced into that, right? You weren't allowed to eat certain things? Yeah. I mean, my my mom was pretty health conscious. She raised us um, starting at the age of eight. I became a vegetarian, but it wasn't like the vegetarians that are around now where you have so many good vegetarian options. I mean, she would make mashed up tofu and like form it into a patty and like that would be our, our burger. And Ugh. I would eat like a Dixie cup filled of dried soybeans. Like it wasn't edamame. It wasn't anything good. <laughs> so my, I, I mean, you know, I know she was doing what she felt was, was the best thing. Um, but as far as my exposure to food, no, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. It wasn't really until I met you that I started trying all different things. Along those lines, I wasn't exposed. The only thing I was exposed to and was basically a joke in my videos allowed to eat was Italian food. Oh, and Chinese food where yeah. we would occasionally get Chinese food takeout. Well, one time I, when I was a teenager, I did go to England to visit a friend and we had Indian food and my mind was like blown. Yeah. I was like, this is so good. <laughs> I didn't have Indian food either until I was probably, oh, I know when I had Indian food. I actually had it when I, uh, I think the first time is when I first started working in, in the city. Yeah. So I've had, I had it before you did, but you introduced me to sushi and steak and all sorts of different things. You know, Long Island is very different now than it was 30 years ago when, when we were growing up. It was when we were growing up, it was Italian restaurants and more Italian and more and then Chinese. I would prob that was probably it. But now you have a ton of Japanese restaurants and you have a ton of everything else and you, there's nothing you can't have. I, I guess Hicksville was always Indian even when we thirty years ago. I just never went over there for food. Yeah, they always had Indian. It's been an Indian enclave there. for, for yeah. a long time. All right, so Jim, we talked about you know college, your culinary experience throughout college. Um, what happened after college? What did you What did you do? By the way, I just want I'll, and I'm gonna answer that question. The, the real experience I got cooking was you know besides watching Richard and learning was I worked the grill for about three years, two three years. So I made tens of thousands of egg sandwiches and. I didn't have a lot of variety, but I could make egg sandwiches faster than anybody, okay? <laughs> or pancakes or whatever else, you know, home fries, French yeah. toast, all that. So it was like, basically, like I was like glorified short order cook uh, mm -hmm. in the back. And I would always love doing that. But anyway, about uh, what I did, uh, what was the question about college? Yeah, so what did you do? What did you do after college? Because I think, you know, what we're trying to, to share with the listeners is how did we get to this point? How are we sitting at this table right now? Well, it's a good question. So, 
you know, we're kind of just telling your whole backstory. Yeah, it, it's a good question. And honestly, it's almost like everything was pointing in my life to doing this. But and I think this might be for for you guys who are listening too. if you're, you know, say, you, say you are 40, say you're 50, say you're even 60. And you're wondering, like, can I do something different? Well, the answer is 100% yes, because I've done, I've had about three, you know, four different major career changes. <clears throat> no, three. But yeah, after college, I, during college, I was all set on going to law school. I got uh, accepted to Brooklyn Law, and I think I had scholarship there too. And so guys, I, I was actually not so, not so dumb, even if you think I am, by the way I speak. <laughs> 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 I didn't get into NYU though. I got in there and I, I kept a deferment because the reason I got a deferment for one year is right during that time, my buddy Josh, who, who I lived with, he was selling, he was doing an internship for life insurance company, uh, Northwestern Mutual. And he was going through the whole fraternity list, like finding all the guys who were successful and mm -hmm. you know, could buy insurance. Mm -hmm. So he found these guys and they were uh, traders, stock trading. And this is like, uh, the stocks were actually in fractions at this point. Yeah. So just so you this guys know. We graduated college in 2000. So that's yeah. kind of where. Everything was electronic at that point. Electronic trading basically really got big in like 1992. But yeah, we went into that and it was the system where they would back you with money, you would trade. And, and I did very well uh, for a long time. And, you know, they, they would pay, they would back you and then you'd have to like pay off your fee. And I paid them off and I was trading on my own and I had you know, big account and I was trading like 10 million shares a month. Uh, just taunt, like, you know, a typical day would be 400,000 shares and, and I was doing well, but there were upside, there was ups and there was downs. And I don't recommend anybody get into trading. And that definitely means like Bitcoin and all that stuff that's going on now. I spent 15 years trading and like, I'm not getting that time back. Uh, I didn't build anything. I didn't like do anything for humanity. I didn't do anything for, you know, somebody who was down and out. I just traded to make money. So am I proud of that? Not really. Am I am I am I am the worst person in the world? No. I was trying to I that's what I did. I did it well, so that's why I did it. Now I basically aged out of that kind of when San, like when our kids yeah. were born and I couldn't deal with the ups and downs because as great as it was having a great month or a great year, there were bad months. There were very bad days. <clears throat> and that's why I don't recommend trading to anybody. So that I, I aged out of that 15 years, maybe 14 years I traded. And then I was trying to find myself. So I was always into woodworking and carpentry. So I was like pretty skilled already at that point. And so I was like, let me let me give it a stab. And then Tara took a job in Minnesota. That's when we relocated and moved there. And so then I en ended up working in, in that field mm -hmm. for a while. And I quickly learned I am happy I don't do that for full time. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard, hard, hard work and and, and it, beats, it beats up your body. It's also hard because at the time you were, I mean, it's probably something that's easier to do if you're in your 20s. But, you know, we were in our late 30s at the time. and Yeah, it was, there was this one job where I remember 
it was a it was a house like a colonial style house and it needed a piece of a basically the gable area was like rotted so it had to be ripped out and it was like 40 feet up there and mm-hmm. you know this should have been being this should have been done with scaffolding and of course the guy I worked for was like we'll use my extension ladder and I was just as I'm looking down like 40 feet mm-hmm. I was like you know what enough of this <laughs> Well, actually, I've been telling you for years you should take pictures of your food, right? So I had the idea before there even was an Instagram. But one day, while you were working that job, I think you were so fed up, you decided you came home and you're like, I'm going to buy a camera and I'm going to start taking pictures of my food. No, you're right. And that is what I did. But let me just say, as far as the carpentry goes, I wasn't. my goal wasn't to work for some guy getting paid 30 or $40 an hour. My goal was to have my own company. Right. Like I would have. I, that's why I had to. I had to learn how the business worked, and then I would want to build out a bunch of crews and trucks. But again, if you don't start that when you're like in your early twenties, yeah. it's a little harder. Again, I'm glad about that experience because often having an experience where you fail at it or you don't like it is one of the best things that can ever happen to you. I have friends or acquaintances now, but these were really good friends of mine in college, they're doing their job. They have jobs now where they want to kill themselves. They literally can't, they can't deal with it. Like you can tell. And, and they, they, and these are people I know, but it's other, many people that we don't know. They think they can never make a change. And, you know, the bottom line is you can always make a change. And that camera purchase that, that you just spoke about, that inexpensive white (laughs) Canon DSLR, like entry level camera, that that was the impetus, and that's when I learned how to how to how to take photos of food and start my what was my original Instagram handle like James it was loves James to cook. loves to cook, and the URL that I think you purchased was what's Daddy cooking? Yeah, it was what's Daddy cooking, and it was that would then that was the URL. So I I was like I was like reading sites about like success stories with people who have like food blogs, food websites. And I was like, oh, I can do this. I'm like, I know how to cook. And tech savvy. Meanwhile, at the time, I had no idea how to take photos and I didn't realize what it entailed. But I said, you know what, let me, let me give it a shot. And it was very, very slow going for, for a long time. I, I think at that point, even when I had the URL, I was focusing more on Instagram, which Social media in general is a dead end for that people. People who who do this for a while they realize like social media is 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 should be used as a supplemental thing. But you need to have a home base. Whether you need to have a website, you need to have a business behind social media. The social media itself shouldn't be your business. Well, yeah, because you can be canceled canceled. at any moment. Yeah, or it's not even about being canceled. Someone can can just be deleted. Someone can steal your account. Like so, to make it durable, which is what we've tried to do. We have our website, we have Patreon, we have multiple social accounts, and now we have a podcast. But our website is our single most important asset, mm-hmm. I, I think. Agree. And that's where a lot of you go to get to get our recipes, and we will never stop putting out uh, high-quality recipes there for you guys. The only reason it takes us so long to do them is because we do the full process shots, and we do the write-up, and we, you know, we don't write any silly stuff in there, but we really try to fulfill the intent of the search query, which is how to make this dish. So we try to show you how to do it in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, that is one of our goals is to be 
the best is to provide the clearest, most direct instructions. And I mean, that's, that's all you, I mean, you're a perfectionist and you've kind of helped me Well, I'm more of a type B personality. You've kind of helped me look at things through the same lens that you do. Um, so now like when we put a recipe out, I always want to make sure that it's extremely clear, the instructions, that there's really no um, ambiguity or anything like that. You get better as you create this. You you start to realize who your audience is. You start to realize how to fulfill the intent. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, be clear. I, I still work on this with people say I ramble in the videos, but I, I do put our videos up. I. Uh, versus anybody. I think our videos are better than most cooking YouTube channels. That doesn't mean that we, we don't do complicated food. Like we're not, I'm not like, uh, I'll use like Brian Lagerstrom as an example. Like I'm not gonna do three three versions of mac and cheese in nine minutes. Like I, that's, that's not gonna happen on, on the Sip and Feast channel. But you'll get one version of mac and cheese really, really explained to you in a slow way so you can do it. That's part of the reason why I reject TikTok and and. Instagram reels to to explain things. I think they're great to entertain people, but to explain things and to teach people, I think they're it's a horrible mechanism. People get a false sense of uh, security. They go, I watched this guy make sourdough in 38 seconds. It's easy. I'm going to do it tomorrow. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to do it you're going to do it a year from now after you finally have gone to the 30-minute YouTube videos and the really good websites devoted to making it. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that, yeah. like, you know, that's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. How did we move from James Loves to Cook to Sip and Feast? How was Sip and Feast born? <laughs> that's so funny because it's the, it's the best story. Like everybody's like, not everybody. That's me being very, very... Uh, you know, conceited, I guess. Not everybody, but many no. people are like, you have a great name. How did you get it? I said, well, I did it the old fashioned way. I went on domain searches and I just started searching for it and it wasn't taken. And I remember when I told you it, because I had like 10 other ideas, you're like, that's great. That's not taken. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I felt like it should have been the name of a restaurant or definitely a cooking website, but it wasn't. What, taken often won't mean that somebody has it. It'll mean that some um, domain hoarding company, which their whole business is just to buy up every single domain. So they'll buy like guitar.com, guitarband.com, you know, radguitar.com. Like they take everything and then you're like, huh, I, I guess I got to like take that name, that horrible name that I didn't want. And if they do have them, they'll be like, yeah, we'll sell it to you for $4,000. And when you're starting a business, the last thing, and you have no visitors, no traffic, no revenue, the last thing you want to do is be spending $4,000 or more for a domain. So anyway, it was free in the sense that it cost me $12, and I have the domain, and I also bought sipandfeast.org and sipandfeast.net for those other scammers that like to impersonate <laughs> you. Now, now that means somebody's like, well, I'm going to buy sipandfeast.tv then and impersonate him. Well, go ahead and have at it if if that's your business. I actually had somebody impersonate me on Instagram recently. Remember that whole thing? Yeah. yeah. And on and on YouTube. And on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, the, well, yeah. YouTube is that scammer uh, bot thing mm -hmm. that's run by some company and they do it for everybody. Because I always see like 
big YouTube channels, they're like, they're like, I will never WhatsApp you and ask you mm-hmm. to. Yeah. 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 We, that's the times we live in. Mm-hmm. We, li- we live in those times where there's workers, people want to work hard, want to bust their butt, and there's many who don't. Yeah. All right. So you, you came up with the Sip and Fees name. You started the website. What happened next? Nothing really. <laughs> it didn't do well for a very long time. And yeah. part of the reason it didn't do well was I didn't have my niche narrowed down yet. So my niche being Italian American food was found way later on. In the beginning, I was like, well, I'm going to make miso eggplant from Nobu, or mm-hmm. I'm going to make steak how they make it at Peter Luger, or I'm going to make this and that. And there was no... It is so hard to succeed this way. Now, listen, the guy I just mentioned before, Brian Lagerstrom, he does succeed that way. He's, he does everything. Yeah. Joshua Weissman does everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Adam Magusa does everything. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's Sam the cooking guy. But it's very, very rare. It's better to show people what you have some credibility with. Mm-hmm. And for me, the credibility comes from you know, my grandmother living with me my whole life and, like I joke always, essentially forcing me to only eat Italian food. Mm-hmm. Like I was not allowed to consume or I even – she even made me just watch it. Well, I watched Julia Child with her also, but we mm-hmm. would always watch Lydia together too. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of staring you in the face the whole time. Completely. Your, your audience, your target audience, your your niche. And when we make the food now and people go, I feel like you're my – like you're my lost – Brother, like, wait, how do you know that broccoli recipe? Or yeah. how do you know that? And I'm like, oh, well, how did I not? How would I not know it? I was force-fed it for, for 40 years. <laughs> you know? Like, 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 you make the pasta vizool exactly like I do. Of course I do. Mm-hmm. Everybody around here makes it the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, give or take a little bit. But everybody, everybody from this area, they all come from the same area. So that's why they're all, that's why that's everything's right. the same. That's right. For the most part. Mm-hmm. For the most part, like it's all that Southern Italian, Southern Italian, food. Sicilian. Yeah. You told us about the creation of Sip and Feast, the name, how it got its start. How did you get to, to start with YouTube? Like, where did that come from? So YouTube, it's funny. YouTube, I always put in like this, like really high esteem level compared to Instagram and Facebook TikTok wasn't even around at the time when I started YouTube. Well, it might have been, but it wasn't popular yet. But YouTube, I always considered like the big leagues, the big, the real big leagues, because the YouTube's been around the longest, and people, the audience, kind of demands like a certain quality in the videos. And this is this has a good, this is this is positive and negative about it. You you feel more pressure. I do anyway, and I've spoken to a lot. I I speak to a lot of the other cooking. YouTube channels. I don't know all the people, like, but I know I know a good amount of them, and they feel the same way. It's just easy to throw up a story on Instagram. It's easy to throw up a reel. Those things people look for five hours, and then it's then it's stale, and they never see it again. YouTube, your content is evergreen. It lives on forever, good and bad. And my older videos, you know, for posterity, they're there. My first video I put out, but anyway. I went to, I did YouTube simply because I knew I had, in order for me to separate myself from 
so many websites, so many food websites are typically women who started over 10 years ago and have this thing called domain authority, which is like how powerful your website is, how easily it can rank. They have these 60 and 70 domain authority sites and you are not going to rank, outrank them no matter how good of a cook you are, period. Nobody gives a crap about your, your new website. There's something called a Google, Google sandbox where they won't even show you in search results for nine months. Now they're saying it's up to 18 months. So what do you do in this situation? You make videos and you jump ahead of them. It was the only way. You are, you're not, you know, this is, this is a harsh reality for people who are starting a food website right now. If you don't make videos, and I really think YouTube is where you should be, but you can do it on TikTok too, you are not going to be known. You have to get people to know you that way, and then they come back to, to your website, and then they go, oh, your, your, your recipes are really good. I, I like you. Now I want to know more about you. So it was a long process, though. We did... Uh, I did 110 videos before any video got a substantial amount of views. The first video that really got a substantial amount of views was the short rib ragu. That basically changed everything. And it was like, it happened fairly quickly when that went, almost all the videos I put out after that did well. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the YouTube algorithm or whatever just kept showing mm -hmm. videos. And then I got creator on the rise. And then I got invited to the creator summit in California, where I saw like some of the biggest channels. I, to this day, I don't, I think they made a mistake by inviting me there, you know? <laughs> well, I, seriously, I mean, it was like, the food channels was, was me, this girl, Lisa, who has like 4 million subs, um, Josh Weissman, who everybody knows who Josh Weissman is, mm -hmm. Nick Giovanni, who has even more subs than Josh Weissman, and then this guy, Matt Stoney, who has more subs than all of them, <laughs> and then me. Yeah. <laughs> so so it was it, it was an honor to be there. And uh, like Red and Link were like the headliners. Mm -hmm. Colin uh, and Samir were there. Colin and right? Samir were the they ones were the hosts. hosting. Yeah. So it, it, it was a really good experience. Uh, but yeah, to, to get all that happened because of that one video that went, and that one video that went, ended up propelling the website to where to where it is today. So you obviously worked very hard to get there. But would you keep saying like that one video? Do you think there's a little bit of luck involved? 100%. Anybody who says luck isn't involved is lying. 100% lying. And there are so many good creators and people with knowledge who have attempted these things, but reality hits. Maybe they have they got a mortgage to pay. They, they set aside 12 months to do this. 12 months went by. Their videos are still getting 800 views. That's it. They, they, can't, they can't continue. It reminds me of actually, you know, the music scene. Like, you go to Nashville, there's, you know, hundreds of bars. They all have live music. Everybody's equally incredible. Yep. But they're just playing in a bar in Nashville. And for some of them, that might be their goal, but you know, it's the little bit of luck that's needed to propel them to the next level. So it's it's really no different. Yeah, and luck, luck a lot of it is selection. So they're selecting, often the scouts, like the talent scouts are looking for somebody to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. So if they don't look that way, they're gonna pass yeah. on them. So it's even more of a shock that, that <clears throat> you made it. <laughs> Some some of our listeners might think I'm I'm mean. I, no. I've I've seen comments like that, like, "Oh, she's so mean <laughs> to you." Listen, 
this is me. I am I a very sarcastic person. No, I, it, yeah. I am from Long Island, born and raised. I am sarcastic. And if I roast you, it means that I love you. I didn't even pick up on it. You do it so much. Like I was just <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You're right. Like, how did that how did it happen to me? Well, it didn't happen to me because nobody was helping me. I'm just gonna say this at all. It really didn't work that way. And you you, you have to do something um in the breaking password space. It's called brute force. So mm-hmm. in the brute force, when you want to steal somebody's password, like a hacker wants to get your password, this is why you should have really good passwords, guys. But what they'll do is they'll just write a program that will keep putting a different password each time. They're brute forcing it. At some point, unless you have like a lock where they're locked out for 30 minutes, but if you don't have that and they can keep putting in passwords, like hundreds of them per per second, per minute, whatever, they're gonna break you, they're gonna break it down. And that's what you do with videos. I just said I'm gonna brute force it and I'm gonna keep putting out a video, another video, and another video. And when I first started, I put out two videos per week, which weren't the best quality. They were they were so bad. I mean, even audio, I didn't even understand. Like I had like all the sound was coming out of the left ear, not out of the right. Mm-hmm. So it's like called panning. Like it wasn't panned correctly. I had no idea about that. I mean, now now like now we have a whole podcast studio set up with new equipment again. This isn't even the equipment that we use downstairs. Downstairs right. we have other cameras, and I, I, at some point we'll probably outgrow this and be in a be in a commercial space. And but that's just that's the evolution of things. When you first start off, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what any of these technical terms mean, but guess what? None of that matters. All that matters is if you have delivery and if you can talk to people and make them feel comfortable. And I didn't have that in the beginning. Like my my beginning videos were, it was like, I was like talking through them. Like my eyes were like looking over the lens. Mm-hmm. They weren't looking at the lens. Mm-hmm. Like I just, you know, I looked like a, for lack of a better word, a dumbass. <laughs> 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 it was less than engaging. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, who the hell is this loser? But you still, but you did it and you started and you just decided if I'm going to fail, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fail, but I'm going to just keep going. I had to become me on camera. And now the person, the person you get now, this is me. I, like maybe it's a tiny bit nicer version of 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 my normal self. Would you agree, right? But but for the most part, it's probably this is the real Jim. Yeah, you're. you're I wouldn't say nicer. I mean, it's a, you're a more laid back version of you because you are quite an intense person. You're that type A personality. Um, so you are more relaxed. I feel like when you're behind the camera, or I should say, in front of the camera or in front of the microphone, you're more you're a more relaxed version of yourself. It seem, it's almost like you're giving yourself permission to just relax for a minute. It's like a happy place almost once it gets rolling because I am an obsessive, almost manic would be the right word. Like to set this this up, I did this, this all was done in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always say that perfect is the enemy of the good. I, I get people always asking me, like, I want to start this. What Should I do this? Should I do that? I said, you just, just start. need to start. That's right. And for here- that's why we got, we went from concept mm-hmm. to actually film, like filming and recording this episode in two weeks. Right. Yeah. Two weeks. That's right. We were talking about the podcast for a long time, but we weren't right. putting any serious effort into it. Once we decided to put focused effort into it, immediately, immediately, it, it, we, we're here. Here we are. Mm-hmm. 
Here we are. You know, maybe things will get upgraded. We're going to put the silver play button on the wall here. Yeah. Do you guys think we, I mean, do you, do you think we should do that or not? I don't think we need a silver play button. What I, I mean, it's, it's nice that we have it. I don't think we need to display it, but if you, <laughs> if our listeners want us to put it up, let us know. What I want someday is for us to have a cookbook, our yeah. own cookbook. Right there. Right here. But I know that is also something that's going to take time and that will some probably take a lot more time than well, setting up it's this a, studio. It's a good thing you brought that up. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this and then we'll go into viewer, uh, viewer submitted questions. So we had a meeting with an individual. Um, she was nice. Yeah. Uh, she was from Long Island, I believe. She was. She yeah. worked for like, a, it was a pretty it big was, publishing yeah. company. Uh, the deal wasn't so great. And, you know, we just, we declined and you know, we didn't even really, we're probably saying more now than we even told her. The economics just don't work. Yeah. And I believe other cooking YouTubers have actually spoken about this in the same way. It's just, you can't take six months away from making videos where they're making money, especially if they're doing sponsors, guys. Sponsors is where YouTubers make their money. That's the majority of the money is from sponsor, those 60 second sponsored reads, like, integrations that you guys hate, you know, for whatever company it is. If you can't make videos and you can't do those and you're making a book that has very, very bad pay, I mean, the advance will be low unless you're somebody like Josh Weissman, mm -hmm. like that's it. Yeah. And, and then once it gets published, it has to sell. It has to meet certain criteria where then you start making more money on it. So it's, 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 it's a big gamble. If we do make a book, it will really just be for the people who want a book. It won't be that we would be making any money off of it. But we can't lose money. We have we have we have bills to pay. That's right. That, that's the well, problem. That's why it doesn't make sense for us at this moment in time to do that's it. That's the problem. If we got a better advance, right? Or we might just, uh, to be honest, it would probably be cheaper for us to hire somebody, even as a full time employee. But probably in the beginning, it would be as a contractor, and they would help us make the book and we would self-publish it. That's right. The economics would work out better there than than in the other way. Because the other one, they they won't even allow you to use most of the recipes that are on the website. Or they'll be like, you can only use 10% of them. And it's like, why would I want to use 10% of the recipes that are only 10%? Those are the recipes that people love us for. That's right. I want to be able to use all of them. Yeah. And a lot large portion of our audience is older and they want a book they want it in print form, yeah, that's they, right. but they want the exact recipe. They want the same recipes that are on the website for free. They want it in a book form because they want to be able to keep it on their kitchen counter or they want to be able to give it as a gift to their that's friends. Right. That's right. And so I just thought, I thought I was like talking past, talking past her. Like, I don't know if like, obviously maybe she would have agreed with us and that was maybe like management decision. But yeah. in my opinion, very poor decision on, that these book companies are doing. Like a, a large portion of the audience wants the same recipes that they know you mm -hmm. for. So as we move forward with the podcast, I think, you know, obviously things will change the flow, you know, as we evolve. But one of the things I think we talked about always wanting to end with is listener submitted questions. Um, yeah, we're going to call it the deep end, which is actually copying creator support, uh, Colin and Samir's podcast, which is a good podcast if you want to learn how to start a YouTube channel, but they call it the deep end and we'll probably come up with our own name, but that's, that's, that's the end of, end of the episode. 
and we're going to use uh, your submitted your submitted questions. Please submit us questions at podcast at sipandfeast.com. That's right. And we've already collected a few questions from, you know, various different most yeah. of the bit, most of the ones came from that YouTube community post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, one of the questions I want to ask you that I'm going to start with, and you kind of touched on it before, was: Do you ever go back and watch some of your older videos? The listener or the the subscriber would be interested to hear about how you think you've changed or evolved as a cook, and how you feel your channel has evolved as well. So again, you touched on it. I don't know if you want to go a little bit deeper and answer this question. Do you watch your old videos? When I have to watch them, I am I'm embarrassed to say the least. And I don't think I brought I think I mentioned quickly the Minnesota one, how I stopped the room and was embarrassed, but I kind of we'll we'll talk about that more on another episode. But I am embarrassed the same way when I watch my videos. I, I I can't believe number one that anybody watched me in the beginning because they were bad. Yet, yet I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit here. I have seen some channels that have been go- doing this for more years than I have, and they are still putting out really bad videos. I I don't know if it's like they don't have any good feedback from family members or friends, but. No, you're supposed to improve in things in life. Yeah. Like things, you should be looking at your body of work. And if you, I think it was some famous painter said it. If you're happy with like your painting from a year ago, you're not improving. That's right. Like Michael Jordan, like if he was happy with how he was playing when he was a rookie versus how he was playing, like he he would say, like I was always trying to improve. That's how mm-hmm. he won championships. Mm-hmm. So I felt the same way. My videos are not the best in the beginning. And so the channel's evolved quite a bit, not just in, I mean, I feel like your cooking has has pretty much stayed steady. Um, the channel has evolved in that you've begun to include family a little bit more. In the beginning, it was, you know, every once in a while, the kids would, would pop in and, and eat the food, but now it's really become a regular thing. So family's always been important. To me, to you, obviously, I think we're great family people, parents, and I know every parent thinks they're a great parent, you know, and I'm sure you are, but that was really important to us to, it was important to me to bring them in, but it was hard in the beginning when it didn't have any return, I guess, on the time. Like now everybody knows like, this is what we do. And obviously the two of us are 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 doing the majority of it, but James is a part of it, and James is growing, and James likes doing it. He loves he loved the taste testing ones, mm-hmm. like the jar the jarred sauce. He ones. had so much fun with that. The jarred sauce video, the jarred sauce marinara. That video has more comments than any video we've ever put out. Mm-hmm. It had more comments in the first hour than almost any video <laughs> we ever put out, or the first twenty four hours. Yeah. People really were into that one. Mm-hmm. Some people get mad. They're like, I don't think James should be a taste tester. Like, he doesn't have the palate. I'm like, well, he, he eats uni and, like, raw shrimp. Like, he probably eats better than 99% of the people who, who are watching the channel. Yeah. Well, he eats – he has a better palate than really any adult I know of in my immediate circle. I mean – Yeah. Right? 
he's an adventurous eater. He wants to eat. And actually, that's going to be episode two about how not to have picky eaters. Right. Little little <laughs> teaser for that, I tell you. The, the way you don't have them is by actually letting them try food. <laughs> yeah. Another question is, what's your personal favorite dish of all time and why? And the second part to that question, what else do you like other than Italian food? <laughs> okay. So I'll answer the second part first. I like all food, everything. I am not a picky eater at all. There is nothing that I have that I don't like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know you're going to say, what There's is it? something you don't what like. What is it? It's rose water. It is rose water. It smells like it smells like old lady perfume to me. That's I, why I can't have it. I love rose water. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing. But yeah, everything else, all all cuisines, everything I will try. I'm an adventurous eater. I love to try new stuff. Uh, probably my favorite meal. It depends what type of mood I'm in. Like so, one day my favorite meal could be like a full omakase, like all all out or, or just sit at the sushi bar and just just tell tell the chef whatever you want to I will try anything. Mm-hmm. Now I say that in America. I don't think in Japan I would do that. Like in Japan they have like frog hearts and stuff like <laughs> no, no, there is there is there is a no for for yeah. me. But but in America, no, I would do that. But that's when I'm in that in the mood for that type of meal. Now the other type of meal which is drastically different, like almost at the opposite end, would be a Peter Luger meal where I can almost feel the button of my jeans <laughs> like busting as I'm eating it. Like those meals are like, like just, they are. So that's a steak dinner for, for those who don't know who what Peter Luger is. But Peter Luger is a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Almost all of the good steakhouses in New, in New York City area and, and a lot of them in other parts of the country are copying the Peter Luger experience. And people say, oh, no, that's not true. They are. They are for the most part. Uh, though I think Keynes was there before Peter Luger's. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's one of the oldest. But yeah, that's that's a great meal. Soup to nuts. Even the schlag at the end. The schlag is good. We talked about what you like besides Italian food. Yeah. If you want to go back to Italian, what is your favorite Italian American dish? Well, again, to this eat? this depends on the mood that you're in. Sometimes, like honestly, some of the some of the one of the best things is just the simplest thing. It's just like pastina, you know, with <laughs> like with with some broth and and cheese. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting a little bit more complicated. I love chicken scarpariello, which I can never say that word correctly. Mm-hmm. I just love uh, you know, like orchietti with. Uh, broccoli rob, sausage, and cherry peppers. Yeah. But I also love like really good chicken parm. And obviously I love great pizza. There's a lot to choose from. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah. Have you ever made anything that your family wasn't crazy about? <laughs> yes, I guess I have. And I know you want me to say the one is the blue cheese dressing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was experimenting. And that's part of that's part of how you will become a better cook is if you learn to experiment. And I didn't have the ingredients I needed to that's make right. it, so I tried to adapt it, and I failed. Mm-hmm. But that is that is how you guys will become better at cooking. Do you have a favorite herb to cook with? We know the one that you don't want to cook so with. So I, I think we will devote a whole episode to this, yeah. but I will quickly say the best herb for a, 
for the cooking that I do is parsley. It's flat leaf Italian parsley. Mm -hmm. Don't buy curly parsley in the store because it has no flavor. It's really used as a garnish in dishes. That's what curly parsley's for. But the flat leaf, and you can just go to a supermarket. Not all flat leaf is the same, but if you pick it up and you smell it and it smells really good, then that's a great, that's great. And then you, you know, you put that in a variety of dishes from all different types of, you know, chicken, scallopini, whatever, to all different pastas, really for anything. I love parsley. I feel like it kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. Like people just use it, they think you're just using it for color, but the flavor of it is is really quite, quite delicious and fresh. Fresh. That's the that's the term for mm-hmm. it. I mean, I also love fresh basil. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I, I despise dried basil. Yeah. Uh, but we'll do, we'll devote a whole episode to that. Yeah. The, the reason that I don't like it is simply is it's not, it's no longer basil anymore. There's actually a chemical reaction that mm-hmm. changes the flavor of it. It's called like volatile versus non-volatile compounds. And supposedly basil is really bad in this respect. So everything becomes volatile and it becomes, it turns into something completely different. Mm. America's Test Kitchen did, did a whole thing on it. And uh, because I don't know the answers to this, when people were like, Jim, what's the reason why you don't like it? Yeah. I was like, I can't put into words. Yeah. And I had to go like, I'm like, am I am I crazy? Or then, then I go find science of what I'm actually tasting. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And one final question. Do you do the majority of the cooking in our house or for or for the family, I should say? So for the extended family, the answer is yes. Uh, people have... I won't say take advantage of of my cooking ability, but they always assume that like Tara and Jim are going to have the full Thanksgiving dinner, or they're going to have the roast, or they're going to do whatever. Or they, you know, Jim does um, amazing barbecue. And by the way, guys, I do a ton of barbecue and smoking and all that, and that's probably won't make it to the channel simply because it's a different niche, and you'll get those Southern people that will come into the comments and tell you. I think you're a little bit out of your lane, Jim. Mm-hmm. Remember that with the chili one? Yeah. You yeah. know those people? Yeah. You know, it's that's interesting. You got a decent amount of like surprisingly kind responses to your gumbo <laughs> video. I thought that was going to be much, I thought people were going to be more harsh. You're right. But there were some really nice The gumbo comments, comments. were better. The chili yeah. ones, there were yeah. so many people. First of all, so many of the comments were just about the beans. The beans, yeah, that was- Like just, oof. like just- So as far as doing the cooking in our home for just the four of us, do you do the majority of the cooking? Uh, I do, but it's changed a lot where you've taken up a lot of it now. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it's simply because of- the timetable for us making videos and for making photo content for the blog, it's not much other cooking, not much other cooking is really done. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. It's hard. I mean, this could be a whole episode too, but running a business out of your house and especially when it has to do with, with cooking, I mean, there's only so much of it. Yeah. And then then you just want to get takeout, like, because you're like, all right, I, I can't, like, I don't want to keep eating the same food that I have to, that I make all the time. So I do yeah. take out, we'll freeze it a lot. If I do the cooking, I tend to try and make something that's a little bit on the easier side. Like my go-to, what is my go-to? It's lentil soup. Lentil soup. I will make that and I will make a salad. And you make a mean easy. salad. 
So again, thanks for listening and leave your comments, questions, anything about the show to podcast at sipandfeast.com. We'll see you in the next episode.